Well, good morning, everybody. Are you okay? There's a murmur of uh, something there. Are you all right? Good morning. I know we can't sing, but you can, you can shout at me. That's okay. We can, I'll accept that. Um, it's finally here. We uh, are on our last week of exploring Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Do I hear a sigh of relief or maybe a groan of disappointment? Either way, it's nearly over. Twelve weeks we've been on this journey together. We've laughed. We've cried. Well, Never be the same again. It's been quite the roller coaster, hasn't it? What is there left to say in this letter? Well, actually, quite a lot. Um, because unlike a normal person who would finish their letter with a simple, well, take care, stay safe, God bless, um, Paul decides to conclude his letter with one more complex, theologically rich, spiritual, cultural metaphor for us to unpick this morning. And so, for the last time, let's strap in, let's prepare ourselves. If you've got Bibles, turn to Ephesians, um, and we are in chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 20. And I'm going to read from verse 10, because we looked at the first bit last week. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, he says, and when Paul says, Finally, he means it like any great preacher means finally, in that he's got another 15 points to go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I don't know what you think of when um, you hear those words. I sort of get flashbacks to Sunday school, and we used to sing a song called Be Bold, Be Strong. Does anyone remember that one? Had some actions that went along, didn't it? So, be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with me. No, just me. Cool, 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 cool. Um, one of my favourites. But as fun as that song was, I don't think Paul has in mind physical strength when he writes these words. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power is what he says. And and power is this word that we've seen coming up time and time again throughout this letter. Remember back to chapter 1, he talks about um, the power of God being demonstrated as he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And then in chapter 2, he writes, just like Christ, we also are being raised to new life. Excuse me. As we often sing in this church, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God raised you up with Christ and seated you in the heavenly realms. And then in chapter 3, he prays that we might be strengthened by that same power through God's Spirit in our inner being. And perhaps most significantly, with that power at work within us, we might have um, the ability to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. You see, God's power isn't dependent on us, our strength or our might. It's dependent on his spirit at work within us. And so if we read this letter carefully, if we, we follow it and track with it, we see that God's power is demonstrated in his ability to bring about new life in us through his spirit as he reveals his love to us. 
Think about Jesus' words to his disciples when he said, love each other as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? Well, it wasn't with might, but in surrender. Jesus' expectation of his followers is that they would be marked with the same kind of love, that they would be recognized first and foremost for their uncompromising, sacrificial, inclusive, radical love. He even said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So as we think about the church today, it's maybe helpful to ask ourselves, what is it that we are known for? Is it love? Or is it something else? What about us as individuals, as as followers of Christ? Have we ourselves truly grasped how high, long, and wide, and deep is the love of Christ? Or is our love sometimes maybe a little more shallow? And then verse 11, he says this, Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now again, if you grew up in church, if you ever um, attended Sunday school, I'm sure you've heard of the armour of God before. I sort of sometimes wonder if God didn't speak to Paul when he was writing this letter and say, listen, Paul, I need you to, to put something into this letter that can be used by children's and youth workers in their programmes for the next 2,000 years. Maybe it could involve some dress up, perhaps put in some flaming arrows to make it sound cool. And Paul said, well, let me think. And he sort of looks around his room and he sees the scroll of Isaiah on his shelf. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee, so he definitely had a scroll of Isaiah. And he thinks about that, those words and he remembers chapter 59, verse 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. That's good, he thinks. I like that. And he writes it down. Now he remembers that a bit in chapter 11, verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Well, he's already got a, a breastplate of righteousness, so he thinks, let's have a, a belt of truth instead. And instead of a sash, let's have a shield of faith. That's cooler. And if you've got a shield, well, you're going to need a sword, aren't you? He remembers that bit in chapter 49, verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Yes, the sword can be the word of God. And then all that was missing was the sandals. And for Paul, one of the greatest sandal wearers of all time was Jesus. And so he makes the sandals the, the gospel. I don't know why he didn't include trousers. Um, maybe it was just a hot day in, in Rome at the time. But of course, I don't really know Paul's writing process. Maybe he just looked over at the guard that was minding him and thought, Ooh, I like his outfit, and started jotting down. But I do think we can go some way to working out why it is that Paul wrote these words. Why it is that he gave us this incredible metaphor. You see, he tells us to put on the armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. And in fact, he goes a bit further in verse 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sort of sounds like the tagline of an epic fantasy movie, right? It's actually, I think, a little bit scary. 
It sort of leaves us wondering, well, what are these, these dark powers of the world? What are the devil's schemes and the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? And in all honesty, I think we could speculate about that for days and, and weeks, perhaps, because I think the answer is many and varied evil manifests itself in all sorts of ways in our world, right? We can all recognize the, the corruption and the greed and the, the selfishness and the narcissism of our leaders, of the rulers and authorities that are over us. Over the past decade, 25,000 people have died from terror-related attacks, which Incidentally, is the same number of people that die of starvation every single day in our world. Poverty is rife. Combined, alcohol, drug, substance misuse kills 11.8 million people every single year. And we've got bigger problems than that. Our planet's oceans are literally dying due to climate change. Greenhouse gases are at an all-time high. Dozens of species around the world are going extinct every single day. We've got hatred, racism, sexism, trafficking, abuse, discrimination, knife crime, gangs. The list goes on and on and on and on. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of this stuff exists because there's some invisible force at work behind the scenes. Certainly, we need to take responsibility for our own part in this. But we also need to recognize that there are real battles that are going on in our world. There are real battles going on, that people's lives are literally at stake. We need to recognize that there are some battles, there are some fights that are absolutely worth having. Some fights that are worth us getting involved in as followers of Jesus. <clears throat> and I think we need a bit of care when we read verse 12 that we don't skip over the bit that says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Because I think this is Paul's whole point. I think he wants his readers to recognize that maybe sometimes they're in the wrong fight. Us versus them. Me versus you. Paul says, no, listen, we've got bigger fish to fry. And we've seen this all through the letter. We think back, chapter 1, he talks about we, the, the Jewish nation, and you, the Gentiles, becoming us, the family of God in Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, he says, for he is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In chapter 3, he talks about becoming one body. In chapter 4, he writes, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We don't need to work very hard to see that Paul was trying to deal with some disagreements that existed in the church between Jewish and Gentile believers. And Paul says, Whoa, <laughs> hold up, guys. Stop, take a breath. Our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. Because Jesus has dealt with that. He's dealt with that on the cross. He's dealt with everything that separates us from God and everything that separates us from each other. It's done. It's over. It's what the cross is all about. I don't know if you've noticed, but time and time and time again through this letter, Paul is constantly trying to bring us back to Jesus. 
He calls us chosen in him, blameless in his sight, redeemed in his blood, forgiven by his grace, included in his family, marked with a seal, made alive, raised up with Christ, brought near, given access to the Father, built together, and on and on and on he goes. Have a read back through for yourself. Even in his instructions to first century households that we've been looking at the past couple of weeks, it's all about Jesus. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, he says. Love like Christ. Paul really couldn't be any clearer. You see, when we put on the armor of God, not only does it remind us of the battle that we're in, it also reminds us whose team we are on. We're on team Jesus. It keeps us from attacking each other because you know what? If someone is wearing the same armor as you and you go after them, you're only helping the enemy. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul wants us to see that the, the real battle that we're in, the one that really matters, is those who are lost to darkness. It's those who need rescuing, those who need lifting out of poverty and hunger, those that need to be set free from addiction and debt, the least, the lost, and the lonely. As Jesus would say, we need, like Jesus, to adopt those words from Isaiah as our battle cry. The Spirit of the Lord is on us because he has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. By putting on the armor of God, we are declaring that together, as one, unified, we are going to take a stand against the forces of darkness that we see in the world today, in our friends, in our family, in the people that we love. So what armor does Paul say we need? We read in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. Many preachers have written entire sermon series based on each item of armor. I remember doing um, a six-week series myself back when I was a, a youth worker. I managed to acquire a shop mannequin, and every week we added a new bit of armor to the mannequin. Ted, we called him. Um, it, was a, it was a great series, it was good fun, although for years afterwards I had to live with a creepy mannequin. Um, but I haven't got time, I haven't got time this morning to go through each element of the armour. I don't want this to be another six-week series, so um, I'm going to let you reflect on them yourself this week and in your life groups. Um, but let me just suggest, before I finish this morning, one thing that all of these items of armour have in common. common. Excuse me. They belong to God. It's his armor that we are putting on. 
The belt of truth comes from God. We find truth in his words to us. In the majesty of creation, in the lived experiences of believers, and in the spirit of truth who reveals God to us, and most significantly in the person of Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus shows us the truth of God. The breastplate of righteousness also comes from God. In Romans 3, Paul quotes Psalm 14, None is righteous, no, not one. Then he also writes in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus again, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are made righteous by God, by Jesus' sacrifice for us, by nothing that we do in our own strength, our own ability, purely by him. Peace also comes from God in the person of Jesus. Jesus said to his followers, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. And Paul's already reminded us in this letter that he himself is our peace. The shield of faith also comes from God. Again, Paul's already spoken about this in chapter 2. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. You know, if you feel like your faith is, is lacking in any way this morning, you can pray to God for more faith. Just as the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith, to help them in their unbelief. The helmet of salvation, of course, of course, comes from God. God again through Jesus. As Luke writes in Acts, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. In Christ alone, our hope is found. And the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, well, you get the idea. It's all from him. These aren't bits of armor that we have lying around the home. It's a gift from God. It's what Paul has been saying all along. It's what we have in Christ. And it's designed to help us recognize who we truly are. That we are set free by truth. That we are made right by God. That we are ambassadors of peace, full of faith, saved by Jesus and made alive in the Spirit. That's what we discover. As we put this armor on, Paul finishes his letter, pray in the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's that unity thing again. Stick together. Pray for one another. Take your requests to God and be alert. Watch yourself. Don't get distracted with things that don't matter. We've got bigger fish to fry. And finally... Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tichikus, a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Of course, of course Paul finishes with Jesus. He starts his letter with Jesus. It's Jesus all the way through and he finishes with Jesus. It's like a Jesus stick of rock. It's all about Jesus. I wonder if the band would... um, Come and join me on stage as they prepare to lead us for the last song. All joking aside, I really, um, I really do hope and pray that you've been encouraged by this series. 
as we've gone through it the last 12 weeks. Um, this letter is so full of so many incredible promises, so many things that we have now together as the family of God. And, and if you feel like you've missed that, then I, I encourage you to go back yourself and just take some time carefully, slowly reading through this letter, picking up and claiming those truths for yourselves. To conclude this morning, and, and really um, to conclude the series, I've written a short benediction um, using some of, uh, well, using nearly all of um, Paul's words in this letter. Um, and I'd just like to speak it over you this morning before we close in a song. Um, and if you want, and if you're comfortable doing so, you can close your eyes and you can turn this into a prayer for yourself. You could think about perhaps what these words mean for you in your um, journey of faith. So may you be surrounded by the belt of truth, knowing that you've been given the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. May you be covered in the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that you've been made alive in Christ, even when you were dead in your transgressions. May you be made ready by the gospel of peace, knowing that Christ has destroyed every barrier and dividing wall of hostility. And may you take up the shield of faith, knowing that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith as a gift from God. May you wear the helmet of salvation, knowing that you were chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And may you carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, knowing that you are his poem, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. And out of his glorious riches, may he strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith being rooted and established in love. May you have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the full measure of God and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.